Hello and welcome back to Equity, the TechCrunch podcast where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas and it is Tuesday, January 17th, 2023. And I am coming off a fun long weekend. I visited Providence. I visited Alex Wilhelm, a host of the show. He and his baby and wife are doing amazing. And yeah, we are back for a shorter week, but not a quieter one. Let's jump right into markets with actually some good news and crypto. Let's start with the markets and especially looking at the crypto world. So it's been just one week since Coinbase cut 20% of jobs and days since Crypto.com cut 20% of jobs. And while those are definitely bearish signs, I actually have some bullish data to bring forward to balance everything out. According to CNN, Bitcoin is up 25% over the past month. And last I checked, it's priced at above 21,000 for the first time since FTX really imploded. We also see Ethereum, which is right underneath Bitcoin in popularity. It's up more than 30% over the past month, trading above 1,500. We know that price volatility is such a thing in all the markets, but especially crypto. But I think this is helpful in just to understand, one, where the industry is heading and how consumers are thinking about it. And two, we've just been hearing the phrase crypto winter again and again. Maybe the spring is closer than we think. To check off our big tech box, I'm going to talk about Apple. I had no expectations to be hearing from them this early on a Tuesday because tech nerds such as myself know that most of their hardware announcements are made on stage during one of their big events. However, this morning, we got a 19-minute video that I will summarize with you, which is three new Macs. We're seeing new in-house custom-designed Macs that are all being powered by their new chips, the M2 Pro and M2 Max. What you need to know is that there's going to be a more powerful CPU and GPU, more memory, and what Apple says is an industry-leading power efficiency. Put into terms that we all care about, the battery life at a Mac is now rated at 22 hours, which the company calls the longest that they've ever seen in a Mac. That to me is exciting because I'm constantly running around from coffee shop to couches. And I will end with the idea that there is a new Mac Mini as well, which is adorable. I'm not going to ruin it. I can't really show you on podcast anyways. So definitely just check out the site to see how cute that Mac is. So for this week's big idea section, I have two big ideas. I couldn't just pick one. And I'm going to start with the unicorn checkup. Tej from our team reported last week that Africa had no unicorns last year, despite a record fundraising haul. He used data from market inside trackers that you may have heard of called Brighter Bridges and The Big Deal, which both revealed that funding raised by African startups exceeded $5 billion in 2022, a slight percentage increase from the figures reported in 2021. Now, if we were all in a room, I would totally just start playing trivia at this point and ask you all, why do you think a continent didn't produce unicorns despite raising more venture capital? Some of you may say that a late stage investor may have pulled out. Some of you may say funding has resorted to the early stages of the late stage markets, but no one wants to IPO. And at that point, I would tell you that you are all right. It's a bunch of different things, but especially the fact that over 40% of deals that happened in Africa last year fell into the Series A and earlier buckets. To me, that says that the market is still active, which is good news, while late stage is kind of pause, which we know. We know that. We know that no one is jumping into the public markets right now. So it makes sense. And I'm just glad that funding didn't stop. At the same time, Africa is not alone in this data and the overall pullback, as you all know. 
The same story talks about how globally there were 216 unicorns minted in 2022 compared to 541 unicorns minted in 2021. Obviously, that extends to different areas around the world. In India, for example, around 22 companies became unicorns last year, compared to 46 in 2021. And in Latin America, only 18 companies became unicorns in 2021, and the figure fell to just eight in 2022. I asked Tej what he thinks will happen next, because at least one unicorn has to happen at some point in Africa, and he predicts that there will be actually two. So I hope he's right. Let's all come back here and fact check him when it happens regardless. Our other big idea is all around internal valuations, which are more dramatic and nuanced than you may think. So last week, I wrote about how Stripe cut its internal valuation to $63 billion, which comes after another valuation cut internally that happened six months ago, which valued the company at $74 billion. So basically, we're seeing this 11% drop in how it values itself. What you need to know is that the valuation change was not necessarily triggered by a funding round, an investor-led choice, but instead a new 409A price change. 409A valuations are weird things. They're set by third parties, so it's basically not tied to what a venture backer or other investor thinks. And it's this IRS-regulated process that measures the value of common stock against public market comps with the whole idea of setting a fair market value. I wrote a really interesting explainer about it, if I do say so myself, a few months ago called WTF is a 409A that I'll link in the show notes for people who want to get into the pros and cons. But Stripe's case, we see that it's kind of going through this 409A valuation change on somewhat of a quarterly basis. The change usually only happens when there's a big event or around every 12 months or so. But in this case, it looks like it's doing it more often, maybe due to secondary activity, maybe just due to this ever tense macroeconomic climate. We don't know, but we do know that Stripe's public market comps are definitely showing signs of trouble, such as Shop, Block, and PayPal. They're all down from their 52-week highs, which I'm sure is having an influence in Stripe cutting its internal valuation. And I know I keep saying Stripe cutting its internal valuation, but I should probably clarify that it's not Stripe cutting it. It's Stripe turning to a third party that then decides that it should cut it. Fun times in the fintech world. The nuance here and the big idea is that many experts see a company receiving a lower 409A valuation as good news because it helps companies grant their employees stock options at a lower price. Companies can also use lower 409A valuations as a recruiting tool. If you're a prospective employee, you can join the company with a cheaper option and feel like when the company does exit, you get to cash out on a higher price. In this case, I don't think we can necessarily argue that Stripe is using it for recruitment purposes, even though I'm sure that's what they would want. Because just in November 2022, the fintech laid off 14% of its workforce, impacting over 1,000 people. We also, like I said, can see in the public markets how different companies in its world are being valued lower over time. So I'm not going to say that Stripe has a down round coming from investors, but we do know that the valuation change is not simply something that has nothing to do with the macroeconomic climate and only to do with recruitment. But let me put a pin in the big idea section. We are going to stay in the fintech world for a second and talk about a huge executive shakeup and a company a little farther away from us. Let's talk about ClearCo, formerly known as ClearBank, which is in the news this week because effective today, its only remaining co-founder, Michelle Romanow, is stepping down. Yep, we have another update in the executive stack. Over a year ago, the other co-founder, Andrew D'Souza, stepped down, and now both him and Michelle are in executive chairman roles. Along with that change, ClearCo is conducting 30% round of layoffs after multiple rounds during the pandemic. A ton of negative news, if we're being honest. And when I talked to Michelle on the phone, I asked her, what really happens to the company? What do you want to tell people? 
about the future of ClearCo because it has this $2 billion valuation. It has funding from SoftBank. And a lot of people do credit it with rebranding, let's say, the non-dilutive capital markets. Her answer so far is Andrew Curtis. He is the new CEO of ClearCo starting today. And his whole goal is around profitability. So she was pretty candid on the phone about how she is a growth stage CEO. And she led the charge to find someone who is more kind of disciplined and profit oriented. We don't have too many details on what will happen next to the company. From my understanding, we're going to see them tighten things even more. So they're going to continue to retract from their international presence. They might improve and change prices. They've already increased them a little bit. And the whole goal is that they, within the next year, are getting to profitability on a break-even basis. She did hint during our call that performance in the US is doing better internationally. So maybe we'll see ClearCo start to invest even more in American companies, despite being a Toronto-based company. But let's be clear. Like I said earlier in the show, there's so much attention from venture capitalists who have more dry powder than ever on the early stage. So we don't know how ClearCo is going to necessarily reinvent itself. Both Michelle and Andrew Curtis did say, though, that it's a bullish sign. So who knows? We'll have more on ClearCo on the site, so stay tuned. But I'm going to end on a more positive note. What do Kayak's Paul English, HubSpot's Dharmesh Shah, a Twitter ex-engineering director, Mercury CEO, and a bunch of other investors have in common? They've all put more than $1.1 million into a new Twitter rival that doesn't even have a name. And you know I love including headlines that only feel like they're very 2021 during a downturn. This is definitely one of them. It's been a minute since I've seen a company raise outside funding without even a name or a product that is being used by thousands. But T2 is an exception. So it's joining kind of this wave of Twitter competitors. There's Spill, which is founded by Twitter alums. There's Post that is looking to raise at a reportedly $250 million valuation. T2 is a new one because it is still being developed. It has created this really interesting, and I would say earnest, Google spreadsheet titled, What Would It Take to Build Another Twitter? Which is meant to kind of steer the effort and serve as this, as Ingrid puts it, out in the open brainstorming process for the company. We don't know how far it is or even when the average person is going to be able to use it. But we do know that they are not even close to 5,000 users. I think they have around 100. To me, it's exciting to see that some of that frustration tech Twitter was feeling at the end of 2022 is actually turning into innovation. The way the world works, there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions. With T2 and all these other Twitter competitors, we're seeing this wave of innovation that might be responding to this exodus of users. Will it be an entirely different product? Some people are saying, will it be the second coming of Clubhouse? We don't know. There are so many questions. But I love starting off the week seeing that there is kind of this modest funding wave in services all around competing with this behemoth that has even bigger of a billionaire behind it. All right. Exhale. That was a busy start to the week. There is so much more I'm sure I missed. So stay tuned. On Wednesday this week, we are going to have the founder of Layoffs.FYI talk about the origin story of a layoff tracker that has been quoted all around the tech industry. And then we'll get into Friday where I'm sure we're going to be talking about follow-ups to these stories and many more. As always, I am Natasha Mascarenas. You can follow me on Twitter at nmask underscore or on Instagram at Natasha the Reporter, where I post selfies of me podcasting and my book recommendations. You can also follow at EquityPod on Twitter. Thank you all so much for spending part of your Tuesday with me. And I will chat with you all very, very soon. Equity Mondays are hosted by myself, senior TechCrunch reporter Natasha Mascarenas. We're produced by Teresa Loconsolo with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Picavet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back next week.